Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to another episode of the Owl's Nest week f- uh, four of cor- three or four of quarantine. I- I'm not sure at this point. Everything's starting to blend together, of course. As always, I have Jake here with me. Jake, how's everything going over on your end? Good, good. Now, uh, we're uh, obviously going to start here talking about what we uh, kind of took away here from the last weekend, but I'd like to let you know that we have a, a very exciting show set up here for you. Uh, coming up next, after our uh, takeaways from this last week, we'll actually be talking to Coach Brad from the Atlanta Rain, asking him, uh, you know, sort of what the season's been like, uh, getting a little bit of his uh, thoughts on Echo as well. So look forward to that. But where I'd like to start with is actually talking about the Chinese teams. You know, we uh, kind of put them in our own little ranking just before the debut a couple weeks ago they all came out of that first weekend uh one and one but finally i think those you know sort of where they stand is starting to become a little bit clearer and it's about jake you know where we had put them uh shanghai is sitting at three and one the charge and spark two and two uh pretty much even on that end too i'm pretty sure they both beat in each other for those losses and uh they've all gone to game fives and uh chengdu is sitting back one in three though they are the only ones to have beat shanghai so far so you know now that we've have a little bit more information about them you know is there anything else you've sort of uh, uh seen or any other insight that you have into these teams no i mean uh what can i say i was right easy um you know <laughs> I, well, I, I do think though it's important to highlight the point i made a little bit last week um but I want to emphasize is that how close these teams are, right? Like, even though I would have, I, I did put the teams like in roughly this order, um, Shanghai, and then Charge and Spark in the middle with, with Chengdu a little bit behind. Um, I do think that they're incredibly close, right? And that's been proven by uh, Chengdu, you know, having success against Shanghai and, um, you know, every, every one of these matches being pretty close, pretty much between these Chinese teams. So, um, the takeaway is that nobody's a clear winner here. Um, maybe just Shanghai has like the edges are small here. The edge Shanghai has over the over the other Chinese teams it's not significant. Even over Chengdu, not really. It's not like huge. It's not um, insurmountable, right? How like I think probably a higher percentage of the Chinese team games went to game five than like any other sample size. So uh, pretty impressive stuff from them. I think they're all going to be contenders when it comes down to. Um, merging the regions once again after the COVID crisis is over. Yeah, no, Chengdu definitely really surprised me. I mean, obviously with, uh, you know, Ameng's uh, Wrecking Ball being banned out last season, I definitely would not have expected them to have gone to the Game 5s uh, that they did. So uh, going forward, I think that any of the matches, you know, where the Chinese teams are going up against each other are definitely going to be must-see Overwatch course the other uh grudge match that we got san francisco shock going up against the la valiant again and this time swinging it their way going three and one uh but the valiant still looked really good during these matchups you know so despite the loss this week you know are you still are you still putting the la valiant you know as far as their power rankings go you know pretty high up uh, especially you know considering they are still a rookie squad uh i still think they're you know at the very least a mid-table team um yeah, I don't think they're you know top of the of the ladder anymore. I don't think anyone can can say that, um, especially with Dallas taking the win over them. Um, they did beat SF, but of course SF turned it back around on them. Um, but I think they're they're still a strong team. I do think that uh, you know in the right meta they could continue to beat any of these top teams. Um, and as time goes on, they're just going to get better and better at adapting to these metas in which they're not so comfortable yet. Uh, speaking of Dallas now, you know, based on what we saw against the LA Valiant, and if you remember back to the, I believe it was the very first week that they went up against the San Francisco Shock, you know, they did take a match off them, and they seemed 
a little bit competitive in at least the first few matches. Uh, what are your readings on the, the Dallas Fuel after this win? Uh, I mean, I think the Fuel um, have always had a strong roster. I guess maybe now we can say that they're gelling a little bit better. Um, I feel that in past matches, I've seen a few more blunders from them, and now they look a little bit cleaner, a little bit sharper. So probably props to the coaching staff on that front. Um, Harry Hook coming back in seems like a good thing for this roster. I don't think that's um, what anyone would have predicted as far as where the season goes. Would have thought uh, closer would be a key part, but it seems like they're playing really, really well. So um, got to give props to the coaching staff and Harry for sort of turning things around. I don't. I think that's really the only fundamental change that they've made from my perspective. But uh, it could also be a meta-dependent thing. But you've got somebody like Decay on your roster, so you know as long as you can get you know that carry DPS online, then I think. Dallas is a team that can take wins off anyone. All right, so the last match that I want to take a look at is Paris 3-1 over Houston. Uh, you know, going into this, I kind of thought we'd see a repeat of Houston taking uh, uh, Paris the way that we did back at their homestand, since, you know, they still did have access to the same sort of composition that they did originally. Uh, and Houston did look better than they did in the beginning of the season, but Paris seemed like they really had their number. You know, what do you think was the deciding factor here that allowed Paris to sort of turn it around on Houston? Well, I think uh, Houston really dominated Paris. To me, it was like Houston played well, but Paris also kind of threw that match um, back at the homestand. I mean, not like, you know, I, obviously I think they're trying their best, but I think their strategy was just completely off. They were playing this Arissa comps, and Houston was just running all over them with dive. It was just a, a complete strap matchup that, that Paris was completely unprepared for, um, and it was pretty obvious to me. Um, so from that perspective, I feel like Houston got a free win there. And now facing off Paris in a brawl meta, which I think is seems to be Paris' strong suit, um, that's where I think Houston ran into a lot more trouble. Uh, I don't think either. I don't think Houston played poorly, but uh, I just think this is a meta that Paris is especially good at, and I don't think Houston's best um, best composition is is this brawl Rhine composition. I don't think they're so good at this. Um, I think uh, so far from what I've seen from the new Houston roster, it seems like dive is, is where they're strongest. And that's a bit unfortunate right now, just because uh, I do agree with uh, um, the idea that the dive is, is not the strongest composition theoretically right now. Like maybe in the right meta, you can make it work, but in a very broad perspective, um, you know, if we abstract from the specific hero pool of the week, I do think dive is generally speaking the weakest style. So Houston's going to have to adapt and improve at the other styles, I think, to continue to take wins off high rated teams. All right, well, that's going to be all that we have for this first segment. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Coach Brad from the Atlanta Reign. But as always, guys, we'd love to know what you think. You can let us know what those opinions are over at YouTube for Checkpoint XP. Uh, you know, give us Twitter comments as well. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Checkpoint XP. You can also find Jake at JakeOW and myself at Robbie underscore Landis CP. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Coach Brad. Watch the rest, watch the rest. Get close to that uh, portal. Don't outside. Right there. Let's go! Wow! Let's go! That's what I'm talking about! Teamwork, baby! He's one shot, bro. Curl, heal up and then go check. Oh, we yeah. won, let's go! Let's go, boys. That was a huge pop-off game. It's just race, it's just race. 
Oh, Ed, let's go, go, baby. Holy, you popped off, EJ. Hey, this is Norse from Checkpoint XP on campus, and this is your Collegiate Star League flashback. This time, we'll take a look at League of Legends, where the Renekton from Cleveland State University completely devoured Western Washington University. Well, the Shockwave doesn't find much, and Tricep still trying to go through this one. Pomo are going to be in some trouble. That's a double kill already. More to come off of this one is Pinhead Larry, the sole survivor. Wants to get out of this one, but Tricep looking for him. Has the double buffs. That's the downtown binding for the triple kill, baby. And in 24 minutes, just shy of 25. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here on the Owl's Nest. I want to remind you that if you happen to be watching right now on YouTube uh, and you want to have us with you on the go, you can also find us uh, on various podcast platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you find your podcasts. Uh, just go and look up the Owl's Nest. I'd like to welcome in, welcome in a special guest here with us today, uh, Coach Brad Sefi Rajani from the Atlanta Rain. Brad, welcome to the Owl's Nest. Hey, thanks for having me, Robbie. So uh, we actually had to talk to you a little bit out at the uh, Houston homestand uh, a few months ago. So uh, it's nice to have yeah. you here with us. And uh, what I'd like to start with is, you know, it's been an exciting season so far, uh, to say the least. You know, from traveling at the beginning of it to the introduction of hero pools and bands and now dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic that's led to all matches being moved online. I have to know, as head coach, how do you keep the players focused amid such a diverse series of challenges? Uh, Well, uh, I... It's been demoralizing to a certain extent, I'd say, for all of our players, you know, um, because, you know, for us, the season doesn't start, uh, you know, uh, when was the first match played? End of February, something like that, right? And then for us, our first match, I think, oh, that's when our first match was, the very end of February, right? That's right. Um, you guys had about three or four weeks before you actually started playing. Yeah. And so, but we started on our grind as a team practicing at the very beginning of the year, you know, right after Christmas. Um, and so, you know, to go and practice for like two months and then all of this stuff happens and things slow down even more, right? You ready? We're going to be having like a late start to the season and then sort of COVID happened and um, so far to date, we've played what four games um, and now we're sitting here in April. So it's been, I think, difficult for our team to sort of practice as hard as we practice um, day in and day out, but then to only have sort of four games to actually show for it. You know, maybe Jay can attest to this, but the idea of literally going like an entire week or two of like, you know, grinding the game in scrims and then no match at the end of it. And then you're onto like a different hero pool. That's pretty demoralizing, I think, for our players, coaches too, you know what I mean? To have to go through that kind of effort and then not be able to sort of showcase it on stage or even on stream. Um, so I think that's been the biggest challenge so far for our team, I'd say. Um, just sort of getting through that, pushing through that, being adults about it, being professionals. Yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. Like the idea that, um, you know, like you, like just the reality of the job is like it's very, very work intensive, like for everyone involved, staff, players everyone has to be like focused and single-minded and to lose the light at the end of the tunnel is kind of crushing i would say like the like the why are you doing you know you have to ask, oh why do we even practice this week the hero pool is gone uh you know i think i totally agree i think that's must be really difficult to deal with um and that's i mean i think that's going to be really interesting this season is is 
um, how do teams adapt to that? How do teams deal with that? Because I don't think it's going to be easy for anyone. I think like pretty much every player, no matter where you're from, what team you're on, I'm sure every player feels the same of like, you put in that much work, you want to see something from it. So what we've tried to do is, um, I mean, we've tried to make kind of just to keep motivation up is we kind of make a big deal out of scrim bucks you know um you know we kind of look even if you can't have the satisfaction of showing it on stage or on stream (laughs) the idea that you can beat a team behind the scenes and like a scrim block or something is to a certain extent its own reward um so we'll we'll track things like team fight win percentage you know to let them kind of like keep them apprised of their progress like hey you guys are winning more team fights than ever you know what i mean great job or you know um i don't know what kind of language i can use on here but you know we will say some some sort of um We'll have a lot of hubris sometimes, you know, like when we're when we're taking down a team in scrim blocks, we'll try to like roll with that vibe, you know, really keep it going, um, really, um, you know, get into a place where everybody's sort of feeling themselves. And, um, you know, that that helps a lot. That helps a lot just to sort of have that mentality in scrims of like, you know, treat it like like you're like you're stomping a ranked game or something sometimes, um, you know you got to balance that with the discipline of, of execution. And so you kind of like, you kind of like shift back and forth in this tempo between sort of um, enjoying the moment of, of winning and then still trying to improve on all of the little things. And it's kind of our coach's job to sort of sneak in there and um, really get these sort of finer points across while still not killing the vibe of the scrim block, I guess. So how does the team feel about playing matches online then? You know, it seemed like the rain, maybe more than anyone else, always seemed to really thrive off the energy of that crowd, whether positive or negative. Uh, so far, we've only played one match online. Um, um, and to be honest, it went really well for us. Um, the The crowd energy, of course, has been great for Atlanta in the past, but we do have a couple of players on the team um, that when they get nervous or excited um they tend to they tend to try to control the situation you know um the classic example i use is baby bay but he's not the only one this is human nature to some extent um but you know like the more intense the moment gets the more um the more out of control the game is getting um, if you're already nervous you know you try to take control of the situation by sort of microing the people around you sometimes or, or trying to try to you know try to basically take control of the situation back right and since it's a team game that means basically roping your teammates into that um, and so we've had struggles in the past of like in a big moment on stage of people basically trying to um, control each other's gameplay um, and then actually bait them into making bad plays um, online the environment has been more chill um, more relaxed you know you don't have the crowd there amping you up and so it takes some of the edge off of the moment and I think we can kind of revert back to a little bit more of like what it's like in scrims for us. And um, we've actually had a pretty cool headed response to every situation so far in our online games. Of course, we haven't been really tested against a good opponent online yet. So it's a bit premature for me to say all of this, but um, at least the first experience we had so far actually went really well for us. I think that's a great point that you have to like kind of just approach the online games differently. Like you have to, uh, you know, instead of playing to that hype, playing to that intensity and, and being like ready to thrive in that moment, you're, you know, taking a different perspective and, and, you know, for even players like, like baby Bay to take a calmer, you know, everyone for, for the whole mood of the team. I feel like I wouldn't have described the mood of the Atlanta rain as like calm and relaxed, you know, from, from what I've seen. 
Um, not that that's a bad thing, but I think that's impressive that you guys have been able to like change the mood uh, in order to suit the challenges ahead of you. I mean, yeah, that's kind of the point, right? Like, Overwatch is a very technical game, you know, um, and uh, I think um, you know sometimes you actually have to you have to you have to approach the game like very like um, technically. And if you're just like running on adrenaline the entire time, I don't know that that necessarily is going to always lead to the best Overwatch uh, from from a technical perspective. And as the game gets more advanced and as teams get better and better, this technical component becomes even more important. So we are really trying to make a concerted effort to not be a team that just runs on momentum and adrenaline. We're trying to become a team that can actually reset reanalyze and start over especially in light of the hero bands and the complexity that that, that adds to the game and all all of the, the surprising things you can see in the match that you weren't expecting well speaking of those uh, hero pools and bands you know we kind of have a really sort of fluctuating meta now and i'm wondering has that changed the way that you prepare for matches you know due to always having different components different compositions each week uh yeah for sure i mean it's become the focal point of every week it's meta discovery um you know, from the day before your first scrim, you know, like coaches are basically in, in long meetings trying to theory craft the meta. Um, then you head into your first scrim block of the week with, you know, a set of ideas, um, different archetypes of comps you think might be good, whether it be brawl, dive, poke, you know, variations, right? Some sort of hybrid between those sometimes, as we saw recently with like some of the tracer gameplay being mixed in with, um, with uh, some brawly comps. Um, it's uh, it's probably the most important thing we do every week right now. It is sort of a cumulative process. Like, you know, even though the hero pool this week is different than what it was three or four weeks ago, there's certainly knowledge that we've sort of acquired and cataloged from, say, like a month ago that now impacts our sort of meta discovery theory crafting process that we have like this week, right? Um, so I don't want to say it's like a full reset every week. It's it's just a partial reset. Um, but, you know, the game is very intricate. And taking out even just one hero, like Reaper or something, has huge implications on whether or not a style of play is viable. Um, and, um, you know, Reaper, Lucio, like there's a couple of big heroes that as soon as you pull them out, it just changes the game so much. And something that you thought would... That's something that you thought would work with with five out of six heroes missing that sixth hero suddenly it no longer works and you got to come up with something completely new and so it's been a very complicated complex process um and it's a big part of what we do now yeah for sure that's got to be interesting too in the perspective of scrims because you know in the past you're looking at scrim results you're like okay well if everyone's playing generally the same thing because the meta has been established for a long time you can really just be very very focused on execution but you know, I think the results are not always going to be as clear now with hero pools. Like, if you win against a certain team, is it that your execution was so great? Is it that your hero comp was so great? Is it that their hero comp was bad or their execution was bad? It just adds this uh, another le- level of, like, how to analyze your results, how to understand winning or losing a team fight, a scrim, a scrim block, and, and like, having to, you know, reapproach your strategy or not, or re- just reapproach your execution and, and be confident in your strategy. Um, and you only have a week to do it, right? So I think that's um, a challenge for every team. Although, personally, I think that the effect of um, 
like you said, like that knowledge accumulating over time and, and teams growing and learning. I think it'll be really interesting to see where this all lands, uh, like next season, let's say, uh, or even even by the end of this season. Like, I wonder if uh, I wonder if playoffs will look really different, ju- like just because so many hero pools have existed. Like, will some of the comps that came out of a specific hero pool still see play time uh, in you know some ideal niche situation in playoffs? You mean even when the heroes are all allowed, some teams will just d- defer to whatever metas they thrived in during the... Yeah, I mean, I just think because teams are getting so much experience playing, not uh, or not every comp, you know, I think I think some comps, like, I don't think I don't think Torb and Reaper is going to be the meta, <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think that, that, that there's probably going to be some discovery, and like, you know, like you said, Overwatch is such a complex game, I think, like, there's comps yet undiscovered, to be sure. Um, strategies yet undiscovered that only work for pro teams, but there's too many to try, right? And billions of variant comp- variances of comps. I mean, on, on your first point, you're exactly right. Um, you know, the the execution versus um, sort of meta discovery thing. Um, what we've been trying to do is to, if the, to the best of our ability, and I think you know, um, this is where coaching staff really sort of. Um, um, makes or breaks a team right now in the league is if you can get your meta discovery done in the first two days of the week if by this by the end of the second day you can say that's the comp that's that's you know based on everything that we theory crafted and everything we saw in scrims and everything we tested that's the comp for the week you know what i mean like um that we want to sort of or at least the archetype you know if, if not the comp itself right like just sort of the style of play we want to be a brawl team this week you know we're going to put in our lucio player right you know if you're the shock you know are we playing moth this week right like that kind of that kind of debate right if you can answer that by the second day you can spend the next couple of days right next two or three days basically perfecting the execution of those comps against the different things that other teams are trying because there's a lot of variety from the other teams as well, right? It's not a mirror that you're just trying to perfect the execution on. You're trying to perfect the execution against, you know, uh, higher tempo comps and slower tempo comps against your comp, whatever that may be. Um, So there's even more execution work to do than in like a normal um, sort of established meta because not everyone's doing mirrors. Um, And then hopefully by the time you get to the match day you have basically picked both the right team composition and you've had a few days to refine your execution of it and again it's a cumulative process you know your execution of that comp may be similar to what you did a few weeks ago but again you swap out one hero and it can make a big deal so it's just it's been a huge challenge but this coaching staff if they have any big relevance on the season right now it's to sort of compress these timelines players can do a lot of this themselves players are extremely smart most players um, you know, a lot of players, I won't say most, but like a lot of players have, a lot of teams have basically a couple of players on it that are basically so intelligent about the game. You know, Jake, you were this for the Houston Outlaws, right? Like you you can sort of do a lot of, like players can do a lot of meta discovery on their own, but it's coach's job to sort of speed that process up as much as possible, especially this season with the way things have been going. So speaking of the other teams that you had just mentioned as well, obviously, you know, we've seen Philly soar after sort of a lackluster 2019 uh, the shock dropped two matches a few weekends ago, and uh, you know we haven't had much of a chance to see Vancouver play just yet. But uh, in your opinion, you know what are the what, which of the top teams do you anticipate being the biggest challenge for the rain? That's a tough one, you know, because most teams haven't played each other yet, right? Um, but I would say it's meta dependent. Um, it sort of depends on whether you are in a a dive meta, a brawl meta, a poke meta. Um, you know. Um, 
I would say Vancouver is probably the best dive team of the group, but I think dive is the the least viable strategy across most of the game right now. You know, um, even like with a perfect set of hero hero bands, I think dive is really struggles to be relevant and this is showcased by the fact that if that a few weeks ago when a lot of teams decided to run that sort of soldier tracer dive atlanta was one of the few teams that didn't buy into that hype so you kind of get the sense of of where atlanta stands on the whole dive issue um but um we're pretty skeptical of dive overall right now and i think it's going to take hero balancing to ch- sort of change our perspective on dive as a whole um not that we're against like certain you know um niche tracer picks and things like that but like just dive and dive tanks in particular we're, we're pretty skeptical so vancouver is an amazing dive team but i think until they rebalance the heroes i'm not sure that vancouver would really thrive in the current metas week over week um i'd say in terms of brawl comps and stuff despite you know that rough week from the shock i think shock so long as lucio and reinhardt are in the game i think shock can be extremely strong team um, and I would look at Shock really uh, as the best best of those three that you mentioned, right? You mentioned Philly, Vancouver, and Shock. I think Shock is probably still the clear winner. I would say Philly is probably the weakest. The one thing that Philly has going for it is is the pickup of Funny Astro. I really, having coached Funny Astro, I cannot understate enough how great this guy is to have on your team. As far as like a shot caller, an alt tracker, basically setting the tempo for the team. I think he can make them strong or at least competitive in every single meta and i think really funny astro is like the biggest pickup that fusion made this season i can't stress enough how great of a player he is for like a team environment yeah i mean even i can't speak to that side of it but i mean just watching him play i think he's like one of the best lucios in uh in in the league already after watching a few games i mean he just has insane positioning always in the right spot which is especially impressive if he's also doing all this behind the scenes work right like I think a lot of players, right, like do the behind the scenes work, but aren't the mechanical superstar. But but he really is both, which is pretty surprising, pretty impressive. When scouts showed up to, uh, you know, because because we had Funny Astro on Atlanta Academy, and of course we we sold him, but he had multiple bidders, right? There was like five teams um, bidding on Funny Astro, and uh, when one of the scouts showed up, he basically walked away. You know, he was in the room physically. We were in Korea. Uh, they happened to be in Korea. He, he was there during like a scrim that we had for the Atlanta Academy team. He walked out of the room and he said, wow, he's the heart and soul of the team. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, that he was the only person like, cause Atlanta Academy was a special team where like a lot of people, uh, it was just like a family almost, but yeah, I mean, he is such a huge presence. And I know that on that Philly squad that, um, that he is really like a, the fulcrum, I guess, of their new roster, I'd say. And um, because of that, I think Philly, they have a very high ceiling. You know what I mean? Like if they get the right meta um, for their DPS players in particular, um, they could win it all. So, you know, the answer to your question, Robbie, is really <laughs> what's the meta at the end of the season and which of those which of those three teams plus us, plus any underdogs that might be out there, right? Like, but what's the meta at the end of the season? I think that's going to determine a lot of... of who actually walks away the champion at the end. Well, and by the time we get there, that meta could be completely different. Uh, of course, Echo was just released onto the PTR, and uh, by the end of the season, I'm hoping that she's going to be somewhere in live. So, you know, before we let you go here, I wanted to get your sort of take on what you think of Echo. You know, what are some of your initial impressions of what you've seen so far? Um, 
I haven't played her at all. Um, but from what I saw, I'd say she's something of a hybrid between like a Tracer and a Doomfist. Um, she's like a Tracer in the sense that when you're in the neutral game, you're you're sort of poking from left click range. Um, you're not like you don't have to fully commit in like Doomfist does, right? Um, so she has this sort of like neutral game where she can sort of sit on the outskirts and just kind of farm. Um, but once she wants to commit, she really has to go all the way in, use all of her cooldowns to blow past the shield. And in that sense, she's like a Doomfist. And of course, like both Tracer and Doomfist, she's a flanker for sure. Um, I'd say her mobility is good enough that she doesn't need to like absorb, like she doesn't need a lot of resources from the team. Like she doesn't need Zarya bubbles to go in or like a bunch of cooldowns and stuff. Um, so that's pretty powerful. Her channel ability, what's that works? That works on like low HP targets, yeah, half right? Half HP uh, low, yep. you 200 DPS. Yeah. So that's even more of a flanking thing, right? Like somebody gets low, you go in with your flank, you finish that target off, right? I mean, um, she's a, she's like just an ultimate flanker, I'd say. Um, and she can flank basically not just horizontally, but vertically, right? Which is pretty insane. Um, I'd say the most interesting thing about her, though, is the ultimate. Um, you know, a lot of people have talked about hyping, you know, a lot of people have hyped up the idea that she can like copy Tracer and get a bunch of pulse bombs and stuff like that. Sure, you know, you can do that. And that would be a really flashy play if you get a bunch of cleanup kills as Tracer. But I think in, a, in an actually like an even matchup where both teams are good, the most interesting copy for her would be a main tank. Um, the idea that you could copy a Reinhardt right in the middle of their team and start cleaving away, generating a ton of space and a ton of damage, healed. And a ton of shatters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, build a shatter even. I mean, wow. You know, like copying the main tank is... Yeah, I mean, have you played her, Jake? I'm sure you have. Yeah, I think this hero is like... It is actually broken. I think this hero is permanent pick if it doesn't get nerfed. Even after they killed the super jump, I think I think it's completely broken. The copy on... I totally agree with you. Copying main tank, I think like that's the only thing you'd ever copy. But like, there's some really stupid stuff. Like if you just copy Orisa, you get a, a bongo in like two seconds. If you're actually putting damage on it, it's just like, okay, nice, nice. Everyone, we got two superchargers out. I don't know if supercharger stacks, but like you could do one after the other. You could copy a Sigma and get the Sigma out really fast. You know, any tank, I think, because the extra life mechanic, the tanks just have like really high likelihood to live the whole duration and get the ult off. Um, or just be hard to kill because you have more HP and the enemy has to kill you. Just Wait, do you build the ult quicker than yes, normal? Yes, 650% of normal. What? That's why, she, that's why I think. I mean, that's what? yeah. That, you, you. That's how you get six pulse bombs on tracer, because you get pulse wow. bomb in half a clip of of tracking. If you're like shooting a tank in the back, you get pulse bomb in one clip or less. I I, I had heard that it was faster, right? But six hundred fifty percent. Virtually guaranteed to get an alt on any hero you copy if you do anything at all. Like Genji gets dragon blade in, like I don't know, maybe. 10 shurikens and a dash is a, is a blade. How cool would it be to, to, to copy Arissa, get off a pull, combo it with like a Reinhardt and your team getting a fire strike. You build a bongo, you throw that down. So you've pulled them away from you. You built a bongo, you generated space for the bongo, right? Like they're not going to kill it right away. And then you just roll the fight from there. Yeah, what I, what I kept doing with her is going on high grounds above the, like in flanking high grounds and copying Arissa and just like being on the enemy high ground as an Arissa. That you can't ever. Oh get wait, there. you copy it not so you can copy it from a distance. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You don't have to be like right next to her or anything. But it's not infinite range, but it's it's pretty long range. You can't do it through shields, so there's like a way to inhibit it a little bit, but it's unrealistic to 
prevent I mean, it from yeah, really... she, the, with her mobility, the shield. Yeah, yeah. The, the biggest thing I think about her though is that even before you get to the alt, which of course the alt is really powerful, but like so is every alt. So you know, it's not like particularly insane, right? Like AMP, it could also be considered a broken alt. And there's a lot of alts in the game that are you know technically theoretically broken, but don't always work in practice. Um, sometimes it's better to just be Reaper or whatever. But um, is she hard to hit? Um, not particularly. I think like really good hit scan players will will be pretty good against her but what i think makes her really good is not is actually not playing her like i think she can flank and dive and i think she will like be aggressive and finish off fights in that way but i also think if you literally just like play mccree and and, like not mccree but you play the mccree style you just like sit behind your main tank and use all your abilities to deal damage i think this hero does like close to bastion dps if you're if you're playing in like a very ideal scenario just because the left click is insane DPS and it has a lot of shots before you reload. Um, especially if you're breaking shields where the spread doesn't matter. I think this hero is like the single best shield breaker in the game. It's like better than Junkrat at those, Yeah, shield. those sticky bombs are pretty the insane. The sticky bombs and then the shield at like 800 Reinhardt shield HP, your laser finishes it. The, the, like, you, it oh, works wait, on it shields, works on shields yes, too? Yes. The half HP? Yep. So, like, sure does. Oh, wow. so, and like Winston, 500 HP on a primal. He's dead. Like... <laughs> The 200 DPS, and you can also damage boost the 200 DPS on any damage. Based boost. on what you're saying, I think she would combo best with like a, like a staple DPS instead of another. Flame. Yeah, like, yeah. I actually don't think or... you'll play. Di- I think I agree with you what you're saying earlier that dive is like the least viable style, and I think this hero what, what makes it so crazy is that it doesn't need to be in a dive comp. Um, I think you like theoretically like probably in certain maps you'll go with the mercy pocket because it's so so insane to have mercy pocket on this hero. Better than I mean, Farah's dead for sure. But playing against Farah was funny. You could just fly up and kill Farah for free. Like she can't do anything about it because <laughs> she has a huge hitbox. So you just stickier and laser her. It's really impossible to play Farah against this hero, especially the flight mechanic is like trying to shoot a Valk Mercy on Farah, which is very hard. Well, I mean, good, and I wouldn't want to play against both Echo and Farah anyway. Yeah, yeah. So. I don't think that combo <laughs> would be that good at all because hit scan would just be too good. But I think like McCree Echo. On both teams is probably the meta because that that hit like the, the amount of DPS this hero puts out like I don't think it matters what like you just play the best tanks whatever best tanks best supports are you don't have to worry too much about it but um, I think Echo is is just like the amount of just if you just sit behind the Rhine Shield you just deal like maybe two times the damage McCree deals and t- just shooting shields and stuff so that I mean that I mean McCree has flash sure but like this hero has an ult that lets you get shatters. <laughs> And two Rhine shields. I think I think they'll have to take a close. Look I think this hero is not balanced, not yeah. remotely balanced. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. So I hope it sees some play before it gets nerfed. All right. Well, thank you, Coach Brad, uh, for uh, giving us some of your time today. We appreciate you coming on the Owl's Nest. We'd love to have you back in the future. Uh, good luck to you in the rain in the future, though. Uh, you know, we'll be uh, uh, looking forward to what you guys are able to do with Echo as well when she comes out. So uh, thanks for uh, joining us today. No, thanks for having me. Yep. Up next, we'll take a look at the upcoming matches this weekend, including our must-see matches of the week. Stay tuned.
Thanks for sticking with us, guys, here at the Owl's Nest. I uh, want to give a, uh, another quick thank you to Coach Brad from the Atlanta Rain for stopping by and chatting with us. It was a great discussion. Uh, we hope to have him back on in the future. But for now, we're going to take a look at what's coming up this weekend, and we're going to start with our Matches of the Week. So the matches we have picked out for this week, uh, the first one on Saturday is going to be the Vancouver Titans versus the Guangzhou Charge. Uh, I believe this is the uh, the the only the second match that that we finally seen Vancouver. So uh, I mean, for me personally, I'd love to see what it is that they have. They've had weeks and weeks and weeks now to sort of you know practice up, get prepared for it. You know, Jake, what exactly are you expecting out of the Titans going up against the Charge? Uh, I think it'll be really interesting, especially given this hero pool. I think cutting Diva and uh, cutting Ana is actually going to be pretty painful for Vancouver in particular uh, because I think they, they really want to play those heroes, in particular the Ana, um, especially you know with a mind to the idea that they might try and field some sort of dive strategy. Um, I think that's incredibly difficult now without Sombra and without Ana. Those are two of the most important tools. So Vancouver uh, going to be forced to stylistically adapt. I would imagine the meta this week will be poke-oriented. Um, probably some, some snipers seeing playtime. Um, perhaps May, perhaps McCree. Uh, so I don't think that's necessarily Vancouver's best strategy, but I think they're an incredibly strong team. So uh, the question for me is, can Guangzhou overwhelm that? Um, and I think it kind of it really depends on specifically where the meta goes, right? If it's like very widow focused, I could see GZ taking this just because of Happy being such a complete monster. I'm still really, really bullish on Happy. Um, I think he's I think he's <laughs> the best widow in the league maybe you know he's, I think he's really in that conversation and maybe hasn't had the limelight in the same way that uh, other top widowmakers have but I really think he's he's one of the very very best can go toe to toe with absolutely anyone um so I do think if the meta is right this could be GZ's game And then, of course, on the other side of that, on Sunday, another grudge match. The Gladiators, two weeks ago, gave San Francisco one of their losses. And they'll be going back up against each other. Uh, So I have to wonder, do you think that this is going to turn out the same way that the rematch against the LA Valiant did? Or do you think the Gladiators might be able to take another one over on the San Francisco Shock? This is going to be really interesting, actually, because I think think the Gladiators will be a tougher opponent for the Shock in the rematch than the Valiant were. Um, But... uh, it also depends a lot on the tank lineup from SF. I think if Ryan is still seeing a lot of playtime, um, and I could imagine a Ryan Arissa sort of meta appearing here, um, then I do think SF can still be really strong. And I think also cutting Ana actually helps SF. You know, we've seen San Francisco um, field Architect on the Ana. You know, they've done crazy things um, to field a different Ana player than Violet. So they seem to not be super confident in Violet's Ana. Um, so I think taking out Ana from the pool means you don't have to you don't have to have those worries. You don't have to uh, treat that as an issue at all. So you know Violet can play the Moira or the or the Zen or, or whatever is popular this week um, and play it comfortably. So uh, I think SF has received a bit of help from this hero pool um, and the Gladiators being a team that so far seems to like brawling as well. I think these teams are a very interesting matchup because they're actually quite similar in terms of both wanting to play brawl. Uh, but probably both forced to play a slightly different strategy this week uh, with the lack of Reaper. And a few other matches, too, that I'd like to draw your attention to. First of all, uh, as we said earlier in the show, any match that features the Dragons, the Spark, the Charge, or the Hunters, I think, is must-watch Overwatch. Uh, and then, of course, Philly has two matches uh, this weekend as well, one versus Paris and one versus Atlanta. Uh, I think that, you know, Philly, if they can keep their momentum up, obviously is a great, uh, you know, is going to be a great team 
it's already a great team this season, but you know, to see them continue their success uh, is going to be great. Uh, I mean, out of those matches, uh, which is it that you're most looking forward to, Jake? I would say probably the Philly versus Atlanta, actually, especially after having Brad on. Uh, I really want to see how these teams stack up. Um, maybe maybe a tough week for Philly, given that Brad said they do like to play the Brawl, and, and they've lost the Reaper and the Diva um, this week, which I think are two really core components to that style. Um, so I think this this meta might benefit Philly strategically, but that just makes it more interesting to see uh, can Atlanta overwhelm that meta advantage and and go toe to toe. I mean they do have great hit scan players, they do have great um, players to field for a more poke oriented strategy. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'll be completely wrong. Maybe the meta will go a different direction. But I think this will be a good one. I would probably give Philly a slight edge given the pool, but. Um, I do think it's very, very realistic for Atlanta to take this, and that's what makes it a great match to watch. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today, guys. Uh, once again, make sure you connect with us on social medias. Let us know who you're working, who you're rooting for this weekend. That's Checkpoint XP on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Make sure you check out Jake at JakeOW on Twitter and Jake underscore OW on Twitch, guys. That's going to be it for us. And once again, thank you, Coach Brad, from the Atlanta Rain. Guys, we'll see you next time. Remember to always stay on that payload.